Halo with D. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track, I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it, could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented, this a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here, no offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to going deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you once again, Capital. That's right, this is going deep with Donovan Bennett. So excited to be talking to you once again. And I was actually excited for this role and this opportunity, this platform, because it allowed me to unpack some stories that I think are deeper than they seem at the surface level. One of them that happened before we were on the air, I want to circle back on, and that would be the Bruins signing, announcing their signing of prospect defenseman Mitchell Miller, and then renouncing him and walking it backwards. Miller was a fourth-round pick by the Arizona Coyotes in 2022, uh, but then his rights were relinquished after a story was published about the fact that he essentially bullied another classmate and was convicted of assaulting him. And the classmate happened to be a black student that was developmentally disabled and had some challenges. And so we fully understand what we're talking about. Uh, that bullying took place from grade two to junior high, included racist taunts and slurs, including the N-word, physically assaulting him. And smearing candy on a urinal and forcing him to eat it. That's what we're talking about. And it is important to say that this happened when Miller was 14. And I don't think what anyone does as a 14-year-old should be a life sentence. And this isn't a unique scenario. Sadly, in hockey, there's similar criticism when the Montreal Canadiens earlier... Signed prospect Logan Molyneux, who was convicted of sexual assault in Sweden prior to the team selecting him in the 2021 NHL draft. And then all of a sudden, you know, they walked that back. Now, Miller is a real prospect. He was the USHL's player of the year and defender of the year just last season. But also, we know exactly what he did. He pleaded guilty for one count of assault. My issue with not just Miller, but the Bruins is... Everyone deserves a second chance. But what did you do to earn that second chance? In fact, we've since learned, and it didn't take a lot of digging, that Miller hasn't done much of anything. He apologized in court, which was court-ordered, and since then he has never apologized to the victim in person. And the only apology he did make was over Instagram real quickly, right before the Bruins announced that they were signing him. There was Instagram posts and PR releases about the fact that Miller was changed and different and he had done the necessary work to get a second chance. But neither the Bruins or Miller showed their work on what he did. Thus, the criticism. And this isn't just an issue for the Bruins or Miller. This is an issue for hockey. who People are finding it very difficult to trust that the workspaces, albeit locker rooms or front offices are inclusive and diverse and safe. So if the slogan hockey is for everyone is going to mean something, we got to put some meaning behind it with some intentionality because my fear is that the sport that many Canadians love and that is growing in the United States will eventually erode over time because quite frankly, businesses, corporations, parents, 
are not going to be aligned with these types of stories in the way that we readily see them. So yes, Mitchell Miller was a distressed asset, a good player who was able to be signed because of his past discretions. But the reputation of hockey is a distressed asset. And that context has to go into how you rehab the player and how you rehab your image if you're a member club. How can that be done in a safe and smart way? I don't, I don't have those answers. I have been critical of hockey culture, but I'm the first to say that I didn't grow up in it. I don't understand it. I, I see the symptoms, but I don't have the solution. I'm hoping our next guest will, or will at least open the conversation to find some resolution, if not full solutions. Adam Aziz is a freelance writer for ESPN and Disney's Anscape, formerly The Undefeated. He's written for the Toronto Star. He's covered music and culture for OK Player, Mike and Grammy.com, and Complex. But he's done it talking not just about sport or culture, talking about the influence of sport and culture and how when left to bad hands, it can be influential in the worst way. I want you to listen and learn from Adam Aziz on why hockey's issues are much bigger than Mitchell Miller, but he's a great example of how far they need to go. He's not coming into the NHL. He's not eligible at this point to come into the NHL. I can't tell you that he'll ever be eligible to come into the NHL. Extremely upset that, that we have made a lot of people unhappy with our decision. Um, I take pride in the Bruins organization and what we stand for, and we failed there. I want to apologize to Isaiah and his family. I, it, it's something that they shouldn't continue to go through. I, there's a lot of people that are that are let down today, and you know I, 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 I'm disappointed that we're in this position. We shouldn't be in this position. So Adam, there are so many different ways you can tackle the Mitchell Miller situation. It's layered. It's nuanced. Sadly, it's not new. But for me, the biggest part is not the PR, which was handled terribly, but that issues like this impact the way the sport is seen and the way, quite frankly, uh, the sport has a relationship with many communities they're trying to market towards. I almost feel like when I'm talking about these issues, the hockey community, I'm thinking to myself, help me help you. And Mitchell Miller and his handling hasn't helped what's the biggest takeaway in terms of the messaging around this scenario that has struck you yeah for sure i mean i think the one of the big points is you know the whole situation itself was you know unnecessary and could have been avoided and i think many times hockey and you know specifically the nhl really brings a lot of these problems you know on themselves and just related to the miller situation you know he had already had his you know, rights rescinded by the Coyotes in 2020 when all of these, you know, transgressions against Isaiah Crothers, you know, came to light, you know, so it kind of boggled my mind that, you know, two years later, you know, the Bruins, you know, thought this was, you know, a good idea, um, you know, to proceed uh, with the signing, especially since nothing had really changed. We know now, you know, I agree that we've done things we regret, 
trying drugs, smoking, getting in fights, maybe even saying things to fellow classmates that we regret, but trying to normalize the physical, you know, and racial abuse of Miller against a developmentally challenged, you know, black classmate, uh, you know, by the likes of, of Bruins GM Don Sweeney, you know, is, is in my opinion, both kind of disgusting and also a prime example of why hockey, you know, and the NHL haven't had enough, you know, forward progress. Well, the fact that they didn't think it was going to be an issue, they kind of swept it under the rug. They announced it, I don't know, when the team's coming to Toronto, where there's, you know, more assembled media than any other market, arguably, in the league. Yeah. Just let me know how tone deaf, out of touch, members of the hockey establishment are with the general populace in terms of the types yeah. of conversations we're having in in 2022. I wonder if, in fact, they don't see it as an actual significant problem, that the problem is the response to the signing and not the fact that he hasn't done the work or, in fact, that he did these things in the first place. You know, I think one of the biggest issues is that, you know, having had some discussions, I do believe, you know, there are people, you know, higher up at the league that want to make some real changes around the dealing with situations like this. But quite honestly, I just don't think they know how and or don't have the um, knowledge, you know, to be able to do so. And let me give you another example, um, you know, of something that I've thought about, you know, recently um, that, uh, you know, is a little bit different. But uh, let's look at, you know, the Seattle Kraken, right? Um, when that, you know, team came into league and, and the team was named, um, you know, it, it's clear that the full thought process, you know, wasn't put into that because one thing that happened is fans and media, you know, started to take to calling, you know, the fan base crackheads, you know, the arena, the crack house, you know, and crack cocaine, you know, dis disproportionately impacted, you know, inner city communities. And if you've been to Seattle anytime recently, you know that there is a huge you know, drug problem in that city. And, and why I'm using that example is because I think it tells you just of it, it's the thought process that doesn't go all the way, right, in, in, in managing and dealing with, you know, situations like this. And quite honestly, I just don't think the league is mature enough in these areas yet and or has the people there yet. Uh, to be able to even take these on and, and, and try to uh, manage and address them. You know, I look at another league like the NFL, which has its many shortcomings. However, when situations arise uh, with, you know, controversial second chances or, you know, players that have got into, you know, pretty significant legal troubles, I will say that I believe that the NFL, with all of its mistakes it makes along the way, is in a much better position to even open the door to take on um, situations like that. I just simply think the league, it should be a non-starter for the NHL right now because the structure isn't there yet. The foundation of the house hasn't been built yet to even manage situations like this. Yeah, and often when you are pointing these things out and pointing maybe you know some of the, the culture that's institutionally baked into the league needs to change, you feel like there's a rejection of that because you're saying the history is bad or the experience that the former players and generations of players had is, you know, negative in some sort of way. When any business, 
evolves uh, over time. Yeah. We're starting to see the league office with Kim Davis uh, yeah. at the head put in the work to understand the problem before we look for solutions. And they released uh, their diversity report in terms of getting some data on who makes up the league, how do fans feel about the league. The thing that struck me in it was that still two-plus years since George Floyd's death, the majority of teams in the league don't have one single person who gets up every day working towards inclusion and diversity efforts. Many have outsourced the work, but still that's not even every single member club. I often say that the league can't solve all the problems for the sport. And the clubs need to pick up the mantle, but we've waited a long time and have been very patient and still what seems to be very basic and small gestures haven't happened. Are you optimistic that they will start to happen? Um, so just to go back to one thing you said first, before I I answer your question is I, I had, you know, discussions with Kim, you know, Davis some two plus, you know, years ago, um, about, you know, diversity and inclusion programs being instituted across all the leagues teams. And and you're right, you know, Donovan, that, that report that recently came out, it's still not, you know, it's still not happening. And, And just in relation to the George Floyd, you know, situation, that was another really big example, you know, of where, uh, the league fumbled that, right? Because I, I spoke to, you know, members of the HDA, you know, during that time, specifically Evander Kane, and, um, you know, essentially they were not supportive of the league going out with a message of end racism, you know, on the end boards. Um, you know, they, they wanted the league to go out with a Black Lives Matter message, um, as other leagues did. And the reason that I was given at the time is because, you know, the league was trying to address racism as a whole, which is a noble you know, cause, but that, in my opinion, was not what that moment was about. And that was another example where they fumbled, you know, am I um, optimistic about these changes happening? I mean, I think what's ultimately going to drive a lot of these changes, sadly, is the bottom line, uh, because the league needs to grow, you know, its audience beyond a predominantly, you know, white fan base, um, and as soon as, you know, the, the bottom line starts being impacted and they need to expand the audience and grow the game and grow to new audiences, then yeah, I am optimistic, you know, that it's going to happen. But um, I think it's going to take, um, you know, s- something impactful like that for it to really happen. You know, I even uh, think about the positioning, you know, of Herb Carnegie getting inducted you know, into the Hockey Hall of Fame and, and during the broadcast prior to that happening, um, they were talking about the uh, petitions uh, that had to be, you know, put in place to have him inducted uh, while in the same breath talking about how he started what is believed to be one of the first hockey schools in Canada, you know, and it's just the positioning of everything that I think needs so much refinement um, and what really needs to happen is the voices, like you say, on the teams and at the league, they need people there that know how to do this. Yeah, I was very critical of the messaging or lack thereof you know, in the bubble uh, during that moment because I, I reject that notion. Both things can be true. You could put end racism on one end board and Black Lives Matter on the other. And, and furthermore, end racism is too high a bar like 
that one is yes. not going to happen. You might as well put end being mean uh, on right. end Borden. You're never going to do that. Racism is uh, both conscious and subconscious, so you're never going to end, uh, you know, racism. Right. But I think there are more uh, political reasons as to why uh, maybe some owners didn't want to attach themselves to uh, Black Lives Matter because that that term has become uh, political in, in many spaces. It, one thing they have said, and it was in that report, that the heart of working through these issues is marketing, which I found interesting, right? There's lots of different areas you could go in terms of pathways to play in the NHL or, um, you know, the the feeder system at the youth hockey level, two things that they've addressed, but they really have circled and underlined marketing as a big strategy moving forward. When you look at the growth opportunities for the league and its marketing, what do you see? Sure. So let you know. Let's talk about that in relation to how you know the league is marketed now, right? Whether that be um, you know across its broadcast or, or by the league itself. You know, the folksy Canadiana, small town Ontario, five a.m. at the hockey rink. You know, style of marketing that the league and partners have done for years is is quite honestly just tired and, and worn out. You know, if I'm a teenager right now or a young adult um, who is potentially the next wave of a lifelong you know, NHL fan, maybe I am a fan now, or maybe I haven't discovered it yet. That kind of marketing is not going to work for me. What speaks right now to teens and young adults, hip hop, music, street culture, fashion, technology. And again, I know there are people at, at the league that want to get there, but I just don't think they know how. And, you know, I also think the continued dampening of the excitement in the game imp impacts this as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, Trevor Zegris goals being called back because, uh, you know, it's not a conventional hockey goal or the fact that, you know, most teams still have very strict, uh, you know, dress codes in place when entering the arena. Like, what's the most exciting thing about, you know, an NBA game beyond, you know, the game itself, it's the walk-ins, you know, at the arena to see what everybody's wearing and, and, you know, the social media, you know, chatter around that. And one example, you know, that I've, you know, mentioned before is let's go back to the 90s, right? You couldn't watch a hip-hop video in the 90s without seeing a rapper in a hockey jersey. There was a ready-made opening for the NHL to grab a hold of that and we, I'm not suggesting we would have been in a completely, you know, different place by now, but I believe that the growth of the game and what may have um, sort of uh, snowballed on top of that, we may have been a little bit further along as far as trying to make a more welcoming environment for other audiences and potentially expanding, you know, the audience. And it's funny, someone at the league mentioned to me that Charles Barkley said the same thing. He's like, Man, I used to watch, you know, music videos back in the day and everybody had a hockey jersey on. Why didn't you guys, you know, do anything with this? And it's just one very, very, you know, small example of, I think, a broader uh, lack of expansion and growth of the marketing of the game. I'm fully aware that I'm a bit biased, but I also probably live in a bit of an echo chamber in an urban market. You know, I've so been socialized entirely different than much of the existing fan base. And so the pushback would be, well, our TV numbers are great in, in Canada. Our advertising revenue is the envy of any other sport in this country. 
And as much as you may want to do that, we have a loyal fan base in Kamloops, BC, and West Paul, Minnesota. And so we're not going to do anything to upset our customer base that we have. Is there merit to that argument? I don't think so because the the way I feel is is of how if you if you're a hockey fan if if you're an ingrained hockey and NHL fan I I don't think you know um a a crawl before you run approach to um changing the marketing uh of the game is going to make you uh turn off the 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 game and and step away from your favorite teams um i i i don't think that is something that will happen and you know it's not something that you're going to sort of flip the table over uh uh, you know uh, on a single day on but you know it it was funny i mean it's just a, a another kind of interesting example was back in you know 2012 um when uh when drake performed uh, at the NHL All-Star Game. You know, 2012 Drake's a lot different than, you know, 2022 Drake, right? He was still, you know, superstar of sorts, but not to where he is today. But if you read the comments from the players, you know, they were all like, oh, I got to get out of the dressing room and go watch this. I'm a huge fan. I can't wait to get his autograph. And I, and I think, you know, it, it's like there seems to be a, um, you know, a, a disconnect between, you know, a, a a growth uh you know a growth approach and upsetting an existing uh fan base and i i just simply don't think that that will uh have a negative impact i i just i just don't see it well we're seeing some small gestures i love the fact that i've learned that across the league some clubs are instituting specific goal music for individual players rather than having right. a uniform goal song a small gesture but one to diversify at least what you're hearing in arena because it always struck me that in toronto where i reside but i'm sure it's the same for most major cities who have both an nba and nhl franchise i would go to a raptors game on a sunday afternoon and hear one playlist and then many people who work for the same game ops for the same company would play an entirely different playlist on saturday night and theoretically, the, the fan base isn't that dramatically different. What are some other small cultural gestures that you know leagues and clubs can, can make to change the way the sport feels? Yeah, so I mean, number one, I mean, I, I think the, the the dress code has to be you know relaxed across the league, right? I mean, some of the most some of the most exciting athletes not not you know we're not talking specifically hockey players but athletes period across the spectrum of major sports are in the nhl you know austin matthews you know connor mcdavid trevor zegris um you know vander kane um you know the list goes on and i think the personalities need to shine you know through better and i've been told you know by the league is and to be fair to them is that is one of their biggest challenges right they they want you know, the player personalities to come out more. And I can understand where the challenge is on that, but the environment has to be, you know, created, uh, you know, as well to do it, right? Because, you know, one thing when you, you know, watch a, an NHL game versus when you watch, you know, an NBA game, there's a, there's a little bit more like vanilla-ness 
um, you know, to a hockey game, right? I think the, the point you just, just sort of mentioned, right? You know, one goal song, you know, it, it's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as alive um, as when, when you watch an NBA game. And I think the reason for that is because you just need to loosen the reins a little bit to be able to let, you know, those personalities, you know, shine through, um, you know, a little better. And uh, I think that uh, there is a want uh, to do it. But I think the other side of it is kind of what you were talking about, Donovan, where there's also a concern about, oh, we don't want to upset, you know, that that core, you know, hockey audience um, in, in doing so. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, at, at flagpole events, like, you know, the NHL All-Star Game, it, that, that is a great opportunity to let some of that shine through. And I actually need to give, you know, some credit to the league. You know, I thought last year's All-Star Game in Vegas, in my opinion, was one of the better ones I had seen as far as letting a lot more of that shine through, whether that was through, you know, the actual presentation of the game or the actual, you know, All-Star events, you know, on the, on the strip. There was just a lot more fun and cool to it and I think that's one thing that the NHL needs to amplify more and that's the the cool factor. Well, I, I think Vegas in general deserves some credit for dragging in many cases the league, you know, a couple centuries ahead and understanding that this is an entertainment product and that you yeah. can be fun and even at times quirky, but it doesn't right. distract from how serious you know the players behind the boards are going to take the actual game. I, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. So I was hoping that given Vegas's success, both from a business standpoint, but from an on ice standpoint that other markets would follow, but you know, change happens slow. You don't want to see oversteering in some directions. You mentioned the crackheads and it's a real astute point about the dangers of, being a little too loose and not understanding uh, what you might be messaging that I heard a you know, football broadcaster this week talk about Kirk cousins is Kirk thuggin because he's been yeah. celebrating with chains on. And I remember a couple of years ago, the Duke football team or social media, whenever they make a big play, they would, you know, tweet out Duke gang with, you know, players right. throwing sets up. And I'm like, I don't think we would feel the same way if, you know, the U Twitter uh, account put out, you know, the U gang, right? We would talk about that differently. What are some of the dangers around what some might find as a cute little nickname like the crackheads or, you know, making Kirk Cousins a lovable little um, play thug on a plane? What are some of the hidden dangers around um, that type of messaging? Sure. I mean, I think the the big one that stands out to me is I think it in some ways dampen the seriousness of issues like the Mitchell Miller situation. I also think it can probably contribute to players um, not um, taking some of these situations as, as seriously and speaking out on them all. Though I do want to give, you know, huge credit, you know, to P Patrice Bergeron. Brad Marchand, I thought that was amazing that they were so outspoken, you know, about the Mitchell Miller situation and so outspoken against it. I thought that was a really encouraging, you know, sign. And then back to, um, you know, the, the, the Kraken, you know, example, um, you know, I, I think that, again, it just goes back to, I, I don't think 
um, when 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 the league uh, looks at uh, the naming convention uh, of a new team, I don't think that they look at all corners like you're talking about, right? I, I, and I and and for me, I mean, this was pretty obvious, right? I mean, again, Seattle has a huge drug problem, and actually, before the team even hit the ice, um, these nicknames, you know, were pretty prevalent. Um, so I think, you know, the dangers are, it, it just really can dampen um, the addressing of uh, issues like this uh, across, you know, across sports leagues. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, again, I think it's one of those situations where, um, you, you know, you, you, need, uh, you need a structure in place that can, should these issues, you know, rear their head and become bigger. Um, you need the structure in place to, to to at least be able to address them if they need you know to be addressed. And I, I and I think that uh, yeah, I mean the the Kirk Cousins example is is problematic, uh, problematic. But um, I think that the structure uh, in place uh, at the NFL, um, you know, to um, you know address some of these issues if needed, uh, is probably a little more mature. Um, than the structure that exists at the NHL. And I'm not suggesting that the NFL goes about these situations uh, all the time in the right way. I just think the structure is is more mature and similarly for, um, you know, the MLB and the NBA. I think sometimes people can't see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of changing the perception and the marketing of a sport. But I remember when Tim Lewicki signed on, had his opening press conference for MLSC, so obviously TFC, the Raptors, and Leafs, it was peppered with questions, not about when are you going to bring a championship, but what are you going to do with the Raptors brand? And should we get rid of the purple? Do people like dinosaurs? And I thought this was such a small-minded conversation. Just ship a bunch of gear to Cardinal, Fischel, and Drake, and all of a sudden, that gear would be cool. Now, fast forward, you know, they just decided we're going to let Drake make the gear for us. How big, and you've you know, written about Drake's influence, uh, you know, in a live event setting, sitting courtside right. at a Raptors game. But how big is the power of celebrity and, you know, attaching yourself to someone like Justin Bieber to come out with an alternate jersey or, in some cases, an alternate Timbit if you're Tim Hortons? <laughs> What's the real power of of influencer culture if you can attach your sport, your team, your league with a celebrity endorsement? I mean, it's it, it, it's massive you know, obviously, and I think uh, that is, you know, one of the areas that puzzles me a, a little bit, uh, right, around, um, you know, the NHL is that, you know, the Beaver example was a good one. I thought that was incredible, right? And it and it felt, you know, it felt cool. Um, you know, I, the, the Maple Leafs embraced it. Um, I, I thought it was amazing, but um, it, it feels like that is not uh, something that has necessarily been prioritized you know, across the league. And we saw what, you know, Drake's influence has been on, uh, you know, the Toronto Raptors, you know, organization, uh, you know, merchandise sales, um, you know, presence, um, you know, it's, 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 it's probably, you can't put a price on it. Um, and uh, I think that it's a huge opportunity, uh, you know, for the league. And that would actually be one of the entry points you know, I, I believe, I mean, if you, uh, you know, they, they leveraged, uh, you know, Snoop, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg, um, you know, in some LA Kings, you know, broadcasts, 
um, you know, because, you know, Stoop himself is a, you know, is a hockey fan. Um, I, I think the one, you know, sort of, uh, you know, issue I had about that one was, you know, you know, Snoop Dogg today is, is, is largely, you know, a pitch man, right? I mean, this isn't Snoop Dogg in, in, you know, 94 on death row records. Uh, right. And, uh, and, you know, so it was a little bit of a, it, it was a very safe, uh, you know, safe partnership. And I, I kind of, to be honest, question, you know, what that really did. And I, I don't have the, you know, any numbers around it, but I question what that really did to expand the game across like a hip hop audience, if that was the intent. And I suspect it was, it was pretty minimal, cool idea, you know, fun idea. Um, but what I, what I'm trying to get at is that I think when you're looking at these influencer partnerships, you have to attach yourself to someone like a Drake who across the board entertainment wise is still highly influential and can actually drive, you know, material impact and, and change. And I think that's where um, there is a big opportunity, uh, you know, to do it. And it's an area that I would really, uh, you know, focus in on. And I also think there's an opportunity for the league um, to look back historically um, at some of those examples, like I gave around, you know, the nineties when, um, you know, the, the rap artists were wearing hockey jerseys and, in, 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 you know, try out some, you know, retro style, you know, marketing and, and merchandising. And, um, you know, I think there, there, there is a, a ton of the, the good news is there's a ton of opportunity, but I think um, it's about getting the uh, right people at the table to execute it. I was out on Snoop Dogg when he became Snoop Lion. Like at this point, <laughs> Snoop is more relevant to my mother than he is to me or in the future to my kids. Yeah. So I don't know if yeah. that was the look. Drake certainly has that crossover appeal. As you mentioned, you've written for the star about him courtside. We'll put that article in our show notes for those listening who want to read it. Give me the best anecdote that you got when doing the reporting for that story. Wow. I mean, I think the, you know, the one, you know, thing that really, really came out is just how, you know, what a great, you know, what a great guy he was. Right. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, offering to buy, you know, offering to buy drinks, uh, you know, for, for people that were sitting, you know, courtside with him. Um, you know, I, I thought that that was awesome. And then, um, you know, I think Matt Devlin, uh, you know, shared a you know a a really cool uh, you know a really cool story about the institution of the Drake extension cord on broadcasts uh, because uh, Drake would at times want to jump on you know the broadcast and uh, they decided they would you know come up with this Drake extension cord uh, that was there every game so he could stay in his seat and throw on the headset you know and and provide commentary but uh, yeah I mean I think what really came through was his impact. Uh, you know, on um, not only the Toronto Raptors, you know, quite honestly, but I think the, you know, the the NBA as a whole. You know, there was a pivot. I want to say, and you're a better hip-hop historian than I, around 2010, where I really felt, whether it was Drake or Kanye, that they started making music not just for tours or for albums, but for stadiums, for, for essentially, you know, hip-hop anthems that you were going to hear in, you know, highlight tapes and in intermissions in between play and in broadcasts. Fast forward and now Drake has a deal with ESPN and you hear his music all right. over their football properties and 
on NFL Countdown. He's the most streamed artist, you know, arguably in the world. Don't come for me, Swifties. What what's what is in it for for Drake? Like, why does is that value proposition make sense for him? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I think you know Drake is just having fun at this point, right? I mean, Drake has the most you know number ones of all time. Uh, you know, like he says, more slaps than the Beatles. Um, and uh, you know, I think I think at this point he's just enjoying. I think being ingrained into places that he enjoys, right? I think he loves sports. I think opportunities to, you know, integrate himself more deeply, you know, into the sports side of things, uh, you know, he's probably always taking advantage of. And like, like, you know, they say in, uh, you know, hip hop, um, you know, rappers always want to be athletes and athletes always want to be rappers. Right. So um, I think that, uh, you know, that's definitely part of it. And I think, yeah, I mean, for someone that's just been that successful that we'll never see again, um, quite honestly, I don't think we'll ever see it again from an artist period, let alone a hip hop artist. I think he's just kind of having fun at this point. <laughs> well, evidently rappers also uh, want to be techno artists because, uh, <laughs> he, he he was the only refuge you would get on King West in terms of not having to listen to EDM. Maybe you'll get a Drake record, you know, twice an hour. And then he decided he was just going to make some techno records until he made a record with 21 Savage with uh, some controversy, no doubt. But But I think the latest controversy, before I let you go, that came out of the press tour to talk about it was 21 Savage saying Nas was no longer relevant. And I guess I five minutes ago said Snoop was no longer relevant. But when you heard that from 21, 21, 21, your thought was what? Oh, why are you making me angry to end this off? <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's so, I mean, the one challenge, you know, with hip hop culture, um, is that we we don't you know we don't uh, position it in the same way that classic rock is positioned right and I think because of that uh, there is a significant lack of knowledge uh, with uh, the younger artist uh, base on you know the historical you know kind of pillars and historical artists. Uh, of hip hop and what was the groundwork they laid and you know just around that comment specifically I mean it's just. I mean, it's just simply not true because the way I look at it is, you know, should Nas wake up tomorrow and decide that he wants to do a Las Vegas residency, um, he would be able to do that. I'm going to take a wild guess that 21 Savage will never be able to, um, you know, do that. Uh, so the comment was, uh, you know, the, the comment was just ridiculous. And also we can't talk about Dre's, Drake's uh, techno album. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, sh <laughs> it, it should not be mentioned ever. Uh, <laughs> Uh, your work will always be mentioned both on Twitter and in this space. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Donovan. Appreciate it. Appreciate guests like Adam Aziz because they make me understand what I don't understand. So much smarter than me, so much cooler than me. At Broken Cool is his handle on Twitter. Give him a follow. He's doing a lot of great work for many publications, and he's done great work for us today. Show, you heard what he had to say. On, on many topics, but in terms of the marketing and promotion of the league and how that is directly related to issues like the Mitchell Miller 
issue. What, what's your biggest takeaway from what you heard? I think with Adam, and you guys nailed this when you were chatting with him, was simply that I, I do believe in second chances. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in second chances, but you, it's, second chances aren't just given freely, right? Like second chances have to be earned in, in a multitude of ways. And if you're, I don't know, if, 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 there's, if you haven't really done much to change and if you haven't demonstrated change, then I, I'm not really sure those things should be given so easily, right? I think if you, if you have put in the time, like we talk, we talk about, there's so many different athletes who have gotten suspensions or, you know, I, I, I often think, and this is nothing to do with race necessarily, but I do sometimes think of people's view on like Michael Vick sometimes. And, you know, he, he like actually went to jail and then came back and people were like, Oh, I'll never forgive him. And that's their prerogative. But I did, I mean, he, he still, he clearly demonstrated some kind of, you know, being contrite or penance for lack of a better term. And I'm not sure that's been the case with Mitchell Miller, right? Like we, the thing with him is we've all, we've all done, we've all done stupid things when we were teenagers. I can, I can confidently say, and I bet I can say this about you that neither of us have done such things when we were teenagers. Right. So it's, it's for that reason where as an adult, if you demonstrate that you've changed, maybe I can believe it because, but you know, if you haven't, if you haven't changed, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what what's happening here. And the big thing for me is when you look at the racist slurs and taunts, right? Because people stuff other people in a locker, the smearing candy on your urinal thing is just disgusting, yeah, and, and, and dangerous. But in terms of the racial slurs, that's learned behavior, right? Uh, there, there aren't children running around at my son's daycare. I hope, anyways, saying racial slurs at some point at an older age, and evidently it was by the age of 14, that's learned behavior. So at the same time, in order to not hold those beliefs or understand why using language like that is problematic, you have to unlearn the behavior. And if he hasn't done anything to unlearn the behavior, then the elapse of time isn't going to change uh, what he did in a way that in a heated moment or... Quite frankly, in a not-so-heated moment, if your uh, coach in the Flames organization and talking to Akeem Alou, you're going to say said language. And so that's why I think – I'm going to sleep at night regardless. I, I really don't care if Mitchell Miller or you know Prospect X changes. But that's why if you want hockey to be for everyone and you want to also give second chances and not have a full cancel culture – that's fine. You have to be accountable. Accountability culture is real. You have to do the work. And in this case, that hasn't been done. I would actually respect the Bruins more if they just said, hey, listen, we profile him as a top six defenseman. Uh, this is not a popularity contest. There's a lot of people in the Hockey Hall of Fame who did some terrible things. Right. Uh, he can play for us. End of story. I would actually respect that more if that's what they said. But you can't have both things. You can't say our organization stands for more. We, we have great merit and character in this locker room. Hockey is for everyone. Oh, but by the way, we're signing Mitchell Miller, and we don't expect you to push back. Well, Patrice, Patrice Bergeron basically came out and said, and he's like one of the most respected players probably in the NHL. I mean, he plays for Team Canada. A lot of Canadians know who he is, regardless of what team he plays for in the NHL. And he came out basically right afterwards and said, oh, our, this is not what our team is about. And he was very serious and like, he was very grave. And I thought, okay, like, 
that's all well and good, but he's still on the team. So maybe like maybe, you know, may, it does kind of represent the team to a certain degree, right? Like you, you, you use the word cancel culture. I, I've long said this. I don't really believe cancel culture exists. I don't think cancel culture is a thing. I just think there is being held accountable for your actions and otherwise. I, 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 I know I know cancel culture has become a very popular term, but I on, I honestly don't believe that's it's a real thing. There's just people are just now being held accountable for things that they probably should have been held accountable to, you know, all along. Well, and let's be honest, your talent also dictates whether or not you're canceled, right? Like there's merit to it. If Mitchell Miller couldn't skate and couldn't get the puck out of the zone, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? His talent wouldn't afford him a second opportunity. And so if your talent is so big that at some point you'll find an audience, you won't be canceled, right? Louis CK still doing stand up when people said he was canceled. So I I agree. I don't think cancel culture actually exists. I think it's a talking point that some people like to use when convenient. But I do think that you have to show some remorse relative to your talent in order to get that second opportunity. And so if his talent affords him a second opportunity at some point with some organization and every club will have a different metric in terms of what is the high bar he needs to clear in order for his talent to be acceptable. But the first step is showing some remorse, making amends in some way, unless there's going to be an organization that says, Hey, we're going to be the rebels. If you can play. And and we've seen that in sport, right? Part of the reason why I have a conflicted relationship with the Dallas Cowboys is Jerry Jones did not care. What did you do? How long are you suspended for? Yeah. All right. Put your hand in the dirt and rush the passer. So uh, I, w- I wouldn't have appreciated it if the Bruins uh, just said, this is, this is why we made the move because they clearly didn't care about all of the background info because they didn't do the research. What they responded to was not what they learned what they responded to was the public reaction yeah. to what some journalists learned. And, and they learned it by sending a Facebook message to uh, the victim's mother. It wasn't exactly uh, investigative journalism. Anyways, I've said too much. Let's take a break. We'll make it a little lighter after the break. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to go and deep with Donovan Benny. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thanks, Grandma. Thank you, Granddad. I'm here with Deacon Shamroy. <laughs> Shamroy. <laughs> I like the way you said that, too. Sound like my, sound like my grandparents. <laughs> uh, thank you for this, man. I uh, appreciate you. So we were, uh, before the break, talking about cancel culture. And how it's not like really a thing. It's something people it, like to talk about, but it's accountability culture. Yeah, right? th- thank That's you. That's what I said. Yeah, That's what I said. I agree. Like, give me the list of people who have really been canceled. You can't name them, right? right? Like, I mean, Bill Cosby. I, yeah, but that's like. Yeah, R. R. Kelly. That's going oh, to jail. Well, a crime. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> yes. fair. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a and, difference. And I and I guarantee you, if he was like a free man, there would be an audience. That wanted to hear about the Jello pudding pops. <laughs> like there would be people who came. Regin, I, I, I can't stream R. Kelly, but I guarantee you, if ignition remix comes on, yeah, yeah I know that two step. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember mean. when I was a 
the University of Western Ontario. In the heat of Kobe's trial in Colorado, yeah. we, we had a jersey party, right? That's the thing. We would have jersey parties. Mm-hmm. And the amount of, not people, the amount of women that were rocking the baby blue Lakers 8. And I'm like, can we get a uh, can we get a jury trial yeah. first? Like, can we at least like no. get some primary evidence first? But no. like, so people there's going to be an audience who does not care, and people are going to want to hear, to use the Bill Cosby example, what he has to say. Right? The, I might be sitting front row if I'm going to be really, really honest, because I want to hear what that crazy man has to say. You know? But yeah, I, it's it's 100 percent accountability culture. Nobody really gets canceled anymore. Yeah. See, I I can't because i don't want to give anyone my money like a thank you for the playlist that's curated but when i see a chris brown record mm. i skip it and this man has made so many bangers but i i skip it and, but also i'm like well like what point am i trying to prove like rihanna has done made a song with the man so so why am i still holding a grudge she's forgiven him but you're right it's it feels cringy and awkward right like listening to a chris brown record especially because it doesn't feel like he has, um, what's the word? It doesn't feel like he gives a damn anymore, right? Like he, Shem, the man harmonized. These H's aren't loyal. Yeah, oh, and that's another banger, though. Right? It is. Like, it's a, it's it another is. banger. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. That is another banger. You're right. And for those who like, he's not. He's not talking about homo milk. He's talking oh. about H O E S. Yeah. Right. Those are not loyal. the one that Santa talks about. Yes. No, 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 no. His, his no. ho, ho, ho is, is very different. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I don't, I don't know whether it is Mitchell Miller in the NHL. And is it really the penalty if the Bruins, even though they're not going to play him, have to pay out the rest of his contract because they signed it and it's a legal document or it's Kyrie who never said something and really and truly has never clarified what it is he does or doesn't believe other than like his random cosign of Alex Jones as an aside. But what is the precedent in terms of, okay, the Brooklyn Nets gave you this list of five things that you have to do. And so I suppose you do them so you can play again, but you're doing them because someone told you to not because you want to, because you tried to apologize three times and neither of those attempts did you say I am not anti-Semitic? You barely said sorry, right? But again, if if he can hoop and get you twenty-five and five, there's a lot of people in that league who've done reprehensible things. Who, who, who am I to judge? I, I I don't know what the answer is. Kyrie's an interesting case because he got really hung up on this whole "I'm not promoting anything, I'm not promoting anything," right? Because he didn't. He didn't tell people to go and watch this. But when you put it out to your millions and millions of followers on social media, what what are, what do you expect? Plus, sales from that movie went like skyrocketed after he put that out there. Um, I have a tough time with Kyrie, right? Because I feel as though he, he thinks clearly, he's smarter than you. Well, he absolutely he's got that Kanye in him, right? He absolutely thinks that he's smarter than everybody in the room. If you tell him otherwise, you know you're the idiot, uh, according to him. Uh, but I, there's also a part of me that feels as though Kyrie has been vilified, Kanye's been vilified, deservedly so, because they say some reprehensible things. But there are other people out there who hold some pretty high positions of power 
who are running for government again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And have done some really wild things. So there's a part of me that's a little frustrated because I say, man, you know, the black man, we, the, us as black people, we have to be held accountable and we are held accountable to much harsher penalties than anybody else, I find. And, and I, you can use current examples like Kyrie and Kanye. And, but you got people like Donald Trump who literally tried to overthrow a government mm. who's running for president again. And it's just accepted. It's crazy. And again, that's not at all to excuse the absolutely anti-Semitic rhetoric coming from Kanye West and Kyrie Irving, who both need to just take an education or get an education and learn to listen and learn some things. But it's like, you know, the, the, the sort of reactions to both to, to, to Kyrie and Kanye and Trump, it, it seems a little imbalanced at times. And it's a little bit, uh, I wonder why. I, I just wonder why. The question is. You got a president who was famous for not reading his press briefings, mm -hmm. yet decided he was going to steal FBI documents. Or I guess he felt like he wasn't stealing them because they were his. He has Russia and China on speed dial. Sure. But uh, we get up in arms and things that happen in sports. Where I struggle is, well, I mean, Donald Trump's not even trying to hide it. Like, he's telling you no, he, who he is, right? And, he's, and people love him for that. I, I, yeah. They love him for that, yeah. right? Uh, he, he, the, the, the racism isn't even subtle. He, they are bringing drugs. They are bringing crimes. He said mm. that in front of a live microphone. And so I, I suppose, like, I could say everything that he's doing is negative, but, like, he's telling you. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's giving you the playbook. This is me, as is. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Where, where I struggle with Kyrie and with Kanye is, and this is, this is baked into us from when we were youths, is, Lord, please don't let it be a black man. Oh, my goodness. Lord, please, please don't let it be a black man. And, and so... You know that we are judged by our worst, not our best. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if we try to keep ourselves accountable and call each other out. Well, now all of a sudden you you you, you playing for the other side. You, right? Hey, yeah. well, you're, you, oh, all of a sudden you got a little comfy chair and a little mm -hmm. nice little job and you're not pro-black anymore. Sure. So, so I struggle because I know if I say something that is honest and obvious – about either individual, I know what the mentions are going to be like. Sure. Well, I, listen, I don't care what my mentions look like. Kanye West is an idiot. <laughs> Kyrie Irving is an idiot. They, <laughs> they, they both are ridiculous. That doesn't make me anti-black or not pro-black enough. You know, uh, I, I, they need to be held accountable for the things that they have done. And you talked about cancel culture. Neither of them are being canceled. Kanye is still a or an almost billionaire. You know, Kanye, uh, Ky Kyrie's going to be able to play in the NBA for the next several years because who's not going to sign Kyrie Irving, right? Uh, you know, it doesn't make us anti-black to hold each other accountable. But where I think the struggle comes from is that damn, it feels like everybody holds us accountable, and they hold us to a they hold us to a very, very, very high standard, and there's never really room for growth. And I, let's take this off Kanye and Kyrie. There's never really room for growth or um or or allow us to be you know apologize for certain things right it's, we're just just sort of beat down all the time well people are coming at me saying oh well all of a sudden you're caping for the jewish community you want to cancel kanye i was like no excuse me i was off kanye when he said racism was a choice black people were, were on kanye black people were on kanye's ass much 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 quicker than anybody else when he wore the white lives matter shirt rocking the MAGA hat 
right? Yes. We, were, we were on him from the beginning. It's the rest of y'all that are just now joining in and realizing what an idiot he is. My guy's in the Oval Office talking about building spaceships. Lord have mercy. Yeah, just pray for him, man. The other thing I want you to touch on before I let you go, the uh, thing that we all need to pray for, is when we were kids, it was transformational. Lost Tupac. Lost Big. That was huge. Now I feel like every month I'm looking at my Twitter and we lose another rapper, you know, Recently, obviously, takeoff, but it, but it's not even just like American rappers. We're losing Canadian rappers. Canadian rappers. rappers. It, yeah. it, you're immersed in it, I, but I feel like we're being desensitized to it. It's almost expected now, right? And that that's a really sad thing for me to even have to say. That you know, whether it's takeoff, whether it's um, God, who's the cat from Memphis that I'm forgetting now. Um, you're getting multiple. Oh, uh, of course, you know, rest in peace uh, to, uh, oh, my God, L.A. rapper, <laughs> L.A. rapper. Who am I forgetting? Uh, oh, my God. What's his name? Braids. Lauren London's. Boo. Nipsey. Nipsey. My God. Nipsey. Right. Like it, it's it's become part of the culture now. And I and I hate even saying that, but it is so embedded in the culture. And it's like. You know, we just sort of it's it's there in the news. We say rest in peace. We say all that stuff. And then it's out the door. It, it's it's almost like school shootings in the States. Right. Where you just you expect it. You're not really surprised by it. You're outraged and you're upset for a little while, a couple weeks. And then the news cycle moves on. And it's not something that should happen. And it's sad to me that in a culture where that should be celebrated, you know, like uh, celebrates black excellence. It should be celebrate our creativity that this is also part of it. Um, and it's sort of like a stain on it in a lot of ways. And that's really sad to me. Really sad. It is sad. It's sad to me, you know, in our communities, we're using our churches for funerals more than we are weddings. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Hopefully we can change that. Listen, I, I always love to chop up things that are light and heavy uh, with you. So I, I will have you in this space with me as much as you'll come dude i'm proud of you happy for you so glad to be here so thank you thank you and thank you for listening this has been another edition of going deep donovan bennett do the thing like favorite share subscribe for myself show ali lance kennedy we'll talk to you next time